Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where we unapologetically cast aside denominational traditions and refuse to embrace clever church trends so that we can continue to be enlightened and shaped by the beautiful combination of biblical truth and Holy Spirit power. God is still seeking those who worship in spirit and truth. And for those who answer that call, there will often be a sense of being a maverick or misfit who can't quite fit into the status quo Christianity. The Mavericks and Misfits podcast will empower you to find your tribe, among others who simply want what is true and what is real in God's kingdom. And now, let's join our host, a self-proclaimed church maverick and ministry misfit, Jeff Lyle. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast. This is Jeff Lyle, glad to be hosting today and continuing our podcast series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I've been looking forward to these episodes beginning today where we're going to focus and hone in on the gift of tongues. And for so many Christians, this one gift, this singular gift among uh, more than a dozen that are listed in scripture, this singular gift is the one that um, seems to get all of the attention. And um, this is nothing new. If you study the book of 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, The gift of tongues was the um, orbit of the controversy in the letters that Paul wrote. And the orbit of the controversy to this very day is still centering on tongues, maybe even more so in our current day on the gift of prophecy. But tongues has always been and will likely always be controversial. If I'm being completely honest, it was the gift of tongues that really caused me to struggle in my early days of Christianity as a cessationist, one who does not believe in the ongoing validity of the Holy uh, Spirit gifts. Um, Of course, I no longer believe that way, but I was trained that way. And one of the, I guess, bullseyes from all of my professors and pastors and mentors was this issue of the gift of tongues. And they felt like, I believe, that the gift of tongues was... Um, so offensive to our intellectualized Christianity and our inordinate hunger for thirst and a desire for everything to make sense and everything to be reasonable and everything to be explainable. Um, Tongues does not fit into any of those categories, and it was frequently mocked, frequently um, devalued. Those who spoke in tongues were uh, seen as kind of immature or unenlightened or biblically uneducated. And so in my Baptist cessationist days, tongues was a, um, really was, it was a bullseye for uh, mockery. And sadly, um, there was a season in my life where I was part of that crew. I didn't understand tongues. I was taught that it was wrong. And therefore, I joined as a young Christian the bandwagon of kind of putting thumbs down to the gift of tongues. Um, I will probably repeat at some point in this uh, couple of lessons on tongues um, my own encounter with God the Spirit where I was sovereignly baptized and began speaking in tongues when I had only been around it once in my entire life. Uh, If you're interested in reading that account, I give it in full detail in my book called Figuring It Out As I Go, and you can pick up a copy of that at jefflyle.com or on transformingtruth.org or Amazon or wherever you buy books. But uh, the reality is, is that I became a theologically convinced Christian that not only tongues, but all of the gifts were valid, were available, 
and were necessary. I was theologically convinced long before I ever spoke in tongues, probably close to two years, really maybe 18 months. I reached a point where I said, oh my goodness, the Bible does not teach that the gifts have stopped. Um, and I've been preaching a false doctrine for a long time as a, a Christian. And um, I, I was theologically convinced. And then shortly after I became the lead pastor of what was then called Meadow Baptist Church, um, the Holy Spirit introduced me into a personal encounter with these gifts. And so the gift of tongues to me is a precious, powerful, and potent gift, and we need it. And I'm, I'm going to say that we need it. And these next couple of um, episodes on the Mavericks and Misfits podcast will, at the very least, provoke you to think more deeply on the gift of tongues. Now, some of you, probably the majority of you that are listening to this podcast, don't have any issues with the gift of tongues. And so you'll have to forgive me because I'm also speaking to a large number of people who are wrestling with this issue of the spiritual gifts. Uh, most of the feedback I've gotten on this series has come from uh, Baptists and Presbyterians or other denominations that don't traffic in the gifts. And I'm so grateful that you guys are listening because it shows that you just want to know what's biblically true. And I hope that you'll be a Berean Christian. The Bereans were those that checked the scriptures to make sure what they were being taught was true. And so when I'm giving these lessons, I'm intentionally teaching, maybe even getting a little tedious with some of it. And some of you that are charismatics, you say, Jeff, what's the big deal, man? Just pray in tongues and get over it and let those people do what they want to do. Well, that's not love. Uh, love says that we hold forth the, the word of life and the truth of God um, in a way that people can have access to it, understand it. And we take our time uh, preaching and teaching and giving uh, with all long suffering and doctrine the ability for those that are listening to um, take part in these things. And so for my charismatic friends, let me say this. I promise you in these next couple of episodes, you're going to get a check in your spirit because I'm not only going to encourage cessationists to acknowledge the gifts and pursue the gifts and experience the gifts, but I'm going to really um, speak to my charismatic brothers and sisters and say, hey, guys, we may have the gifts, but we need to be wise and biblical about how we're using the gifts. Because just because you have a gift doesn't mean you're using it properly. And the scripture actually talks specifically about the gift of tongues and how this gift is to be used and not used when we are gathered together as the church. And so there's plenty to learn for all of us. And so I want to say thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Mavericks and Misfits. And so let me read you a couple of verses out of 1 Corinthians 14. And if you've got a Bible, maybe open your Bible and join me in 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. And this is what we, we are told. We are told to pursue love. That's a command. Nobody argues with that. Pursue love. Anybody that would say we're not to pursue love was just clearly uh, misguided because the Bible is very clear. Pursue love. Nobody argues that. But the next statement says this, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So if we all are in agreement that the command to pursue love is binding on the Christian, why would we dare argue that the next commandment attached to pursue love is no longer binding? What is that commandment? It says earnestly desire the spiritual gifts and especially that you may prophesy. And then verse number two speaks of tongues. It says, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, 
The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Then Paul says this, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, I'm just going to read those five verses and I'm going to pause here for a second. We'll come back to this chapter repeatedly in the next couple of episodes. But what, what can we get from this introductory um, teaching on the gift of tongues? Well, first of all, it's under the umbrella of the command to pursue with our lives agape love. And agape love is simply the love of God that is at work in all of his children that seeks the highest good of the object of that love. So agape, God's love, is seeking the highest good of the object of its love. And it, love has been redefined in our age as you make me feel good about myself. And if you don't, you don't love me. Well, that's not biblical love. Love always seeks the highest good of the object of love. And so we're to pursue that with all of our lives. But equally important, with no diminishing of significance, is the next statement that we are to desire the spiritual gifts and especially prophecy. Now, we're going to deal with prophecy in a later episode. So I just want to kind of highlight this statement, this command. Every single Christian is to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. That leaves zero room for us to have a um, kind of indecisive attitude about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it leaves even less room for us to say the gifts of the Spirit aren't important because the Bible actually commands every single Christian to desire. We are to want spiritual gifts. We are to long to be spiritually gifted by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of ministry. And then one of these gifts is the gift of tongues. And that's what I want to talk to you about. And as we go through these verses, we're going to see that the gift is supposed to be mysterious. The reason it's controversial is because it doesn't appeal primarily to the intellect. And we are a post-enlightenment Christian generation. Uh, the age of enlightenment from around the late 1600s all the way through the early 1800s, about 1685 to 815, is known as the age of enlightenment. And during that season, all across the globe, uh, science was advancing and there came the mindset that anything that couldn't be explained, anything that couldn't be objectively tested, anything that couldn't be intellectually understood was typically dismissed. It was often scoffed at. It was viewed with much skepticism. And that has been the mindset of the globe ever since the age of enlightenment, where anything that was mystical was kind of dismissed as less significant than those things that could be objectively measured and quantified and calculated. And it hit the church full force. Now, if you think about it, Christianity is a 100% completely supernatural faith system. Uh, it is housed, it is centered in a God that we cannot see. It is um, founded upon a gospel that includes a risen, resurrected, glorified king who sits on a literal throne in a literal body in heaven, the third heaven, which we also cannot see. We cannot measure. We have it described in the word of God, but we, we can't fully understand it. 
Uh, it was the great Baptist pastor, Adrian Rogers, that said, I wouldn't have any confidence in a God that I could fully understand. And yet we try to understand everything about Christianity. And when we can't understand it, we like to find ways to explain it away. And that's what's happened with the spiritual gifts. And so when we're coming to the gift of tongues, it is completely supernatural. It may, in its own right, make less sense than any of the other gifts because there is very little objective understanding about what is being said, what is being communicated, what is going on when the gift of tongues is being enacted. And we're going to see that Paul actually acknowledges that reality when he is calling us to pursue the gift of tongues. He actually tells us, yeah, we actually do this gift, the gift of tongues, without our intellectual understanding. And Paul, nobody could accuse him of being a, an emotional, uh, immature believer. He was the most theological believer that has ever lived. He authored a good portion of your New Testament. He was trained in the Word of God. He had experienced the revelations and had been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ by Christ himself. And Paul was an intellectual giant, and he said this, I speak with tongues more than all of you. <laughs> and so if, if you're going to use the argument that it's gibberish, how many of us have said, that? oh, that's just a bunch of gibberish, that's tongue talking crazy people, that's just a bunch of gibberish, you better be careful because you're insulting the great apostle Paul and um, also all Christians throughout the ages that have ever spoken with tongues. So it, it's, it's a great straw man argument just to say, well, it's just a bunch of gibberish. Well, friends, why don't we just slow down, put away those little... Uh, standardized objections to the gift of tongues. So let's just see what the Bible says. So I'm going to bring you in our remaining time today, I'm going to bring you some, some biblical thoughts about the gift of tongues. And I'm going to be encouraging all of you, especially those of you that don't practice the gift of tongues or have rejected the gift of tongues. I want you to consider what your Bible says about it. And then I hope you will take what your Bible says about it and you will release your objections to the Lord and you ask the Lord to help you understand if this gift, A, is valid, which I'm going to submit to you, it's completely valid and active. But B, do you want to operate in a gift that God's word is going to show you is extremely valuable? And so when we think about the tongues in the book of Acts, you may be surprised. I want my charismatic friends to hear this. Tongues is only mentioned on three occasions in the book of Acts. You'd think that the entire book of Acts is about tongues, according to charismatics, because I do believe we, we tend to place an, an overemphasis on tongues in the charismatic world. It's a great gift, a precious gift. I'm going to establish all of that through the word. But uh, tongues is actually only mentioned three times in the book of Acts. You've got, obviously, Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, when the church is baptized with fire, baptized with the Holy Spirit, and the result of that baptism and the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost was the gift of tongues. Now, remember also, just hear me on this, and we're probably just going to go through these three instances in Acts in this episode of Mavericks and Misfits today, and then I'm going to get a little bit down deeper in the next one or two episodes. But for today's um, time, think about this with me. In the book of Acts, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, that all of the church was gathered together. They were all in one place, and then it says, suddenly... In Acts 2, 2, suddenly there came from heaven, what? What came from heaven? A sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And then divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
And then that same passage in Acts 2 talks about all the different types of Jewish people that were there. They were from different parts of the Roman Empire, and they were devout people. They had come to Jerusalem, and each person heard those that were filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. They heard them in their own language. So very quickly here. In Acts chapter 2, here was the manifestation, the initial manifestation of the gift of tongues. And what accompanied it? First of all, there was a supernatural audible experience. That is the sound of the mighty rushing wind. So clearly, God the Spirit began to move and he, the, the presence, the baptism, the filling of the Holy Spirit was accompanied with this mighty rushing wind sound. So it would have been loud. It would have been overwhelming. Everybody would have heard it. But it wasn't only audible. There was also a visual manifestation. The Bible says that there appeared above their heads a manifestation that looked like tongue-shaped flames. Now, you talk about strange, but this was the inauguration of the baptism of the Holy Spirit of the church. And it came with this intense sound and this unprecedented unprecedented visual manifestation of cloven tongues of fire. That's the way I learned it in the King James. But these flames hovering above the heads of those that had gathered in the upper room. And then the ultimate manifestation of this work of the Holy Spirit was that the people in the upper room spilled out of that room and they were speaking in other tongues. These are languages that they had never learned before. These were languages that were 100% foreign to them. And you have the crowds in the streets and the surrounding area as those 120 came out of the upper room. You have these people hearing them all in their own dialects and languages. So that's what happened in Acts chapter 2. Now, immediately, I want to address this argument that I used to propose as a cessationist. I used to say, aha, if tongues are real, they will be in known languages. And I am going to really bring something to bear on that. Matter of fact, I think I'll just do it now. Um, I was going to save this for a, a later opportunity, but I just feel the Holy Spirit right now um, kind of calling me to share this. Um, there was a linguist and an anthropologist. His name is C.F. Vogelin. And he actually wrote a book back in the late 70s. It was called Classification and Index of the World's Languages. Not a very uh, awesome title, but it, it, was a, it was a scientific book. And it was called Classification and Index of the World's Languages by C.F. Vogelin. Now, this is not a man who's a believer, and he wasn't writing in the context of the gift of tongues. He wasn't trying to affirm it or deny it. He's just a language master. And he wrote this. He said that in, in the course of recorded human history, there have been close to 20,000 languages and dialects. Now, get that. 20,000 languages and dialects. And about three quarters of those have completely died out. They no longer exist. They're not being actively spoken in the world today, but they were at one time active operative languages and dialects on planet earth. Now, a, another group, the summer Institute of linguistics estimates that currently, and as you're listening to this, that currently there's an estimated 6,900 or so languages that are active and languages and dialect on planet earth. 
6,900 languages and dialects. Let me just ask you something. How many of those are you familiar with? How many languages are you personally familiar with? The average person is personally familiar with uh, less than a dozen. And it's interesting to me that one of the arguments that tongues today is absolute gibberish typically stems from the fact that we assume we know all of the available languages that God has on in his arsenal that he can use to speak, uh, to, to motivate people to speak in tongues. So listen, just let's just humble ourselves. The reality that there's 6,900 or so active languages today, that might humble some who assume that modern tongues are Babel or gibberish. I mean, seriously, who among us could declare conclusively that the familiar with the 20,000 known languages that have existed, or even like the near 7,000 that are active today. Now, here's what I want you to know. God would know all of those languages, and he can employ any of them in the practice of speaking in tongues. And so when we say, oh, well, tongues has to be a known language, and since it's not one of the dozen that I'm familiar with, it can't be real today, we ought to humble ourselves and recognize that the course of human history has over 20,000 known languages or dialects that have been active, and we have over 6,900 that are active today, and God reserves the right to be God, and he can use any of those if he wants tongues to definitely, definitively be in a known language. And so I would tell you, my cessationist friends, that your argument that tongues are not a known language, you might want to humble yourself and just say, hmm, maybe it's a known language that nobody is speaking today, but God in his recorded history of humanity knows all of those languages existed. Or maybe it's one of the 6,900 when you and I only know about a dozen. Why, why do I make a point of that? Well, because people are looking for any reason to explain away the gift of tongues. And one of the reasons is, well, it's just gibberish. It's just, you know, nonsense. And that can't be of God. Well, friends, I would again encourage you to consider that God's ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And as the heavens are higher above the earth, so are his ways higher than your ways and his thoughts higher than your thoughts. Why do I say that? Because God can pick any language he wants. And by the way, I'll throw this in there. First Corinthians 13, 1 mentions the tongues of men, human language, and the tongues of angels. And so we have actually an entirely different realm of language, and that is the heavenly language, the angelic language. So let me ask you a question. What language does God speak? What language do the angels speak? They speak English? Do they speak Swahili? Do they speak Spanish or Portuguese or German or French? What language do they speak? So we're going to humble ourselves again and recognize that the language of heaven is not bound by the linguistics of earth. And sometimes in the Bible, you're going to find out that tongues could actually be the language of angels. And so I'm not a proponent that it has to be a known human language. I believe it can be. It may even most often be one of the 6,900 active human languages today or one of the 20,000 human languages that have existed in the history of mankind. Or it could absolutely be a heavenly language that is spoken in heaven. My guess is, is that they're not walking around in heaven just speaking English, French, Hebrew, Greek, Swahili, what have you that there are 
plenty of options that God has. And so what do we do? We humble ourselves and we say, I'm going to quit calling it gibberish and nonsense. I'm going to assume that God has access to languages that I know nothing about. And just because I haven't heard those languages or don't know those languages doesn't mean that God can't employ those languages in the gift of tongues. So back to the book of Acts, and I've just got a little bit of time left. And so the second usage of the gift of tongues in the book of Acts is in the book of Acts chapter number 10 at the household of Cornelius. And this is a transitional point in the gospel. This is where the gospel is moving from Jews only. And now we're about to find out by evidence that the gospel, the salvation of God through Jesus Christ is clearly offered to Gentiles. And so it says in Acts chapter 10, while Peter was preaching to Cornelius's household, and Cornelius was not a Jew, he was a Greek man, he was a Gentile, and as he is hearing the gospel, Peter is giving the gospel, the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. And the believers from among them, uh, the circumcised who had come with Peter, they were amazed. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter said, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Now, this is important because this is the second of three instances in the book of Acts where you see the gift of tongues being poured out. And this was a transitional moment because the gospel was now moving from Jews only to clearly incorporating and receiving Gentile believers who would bow their hearts to Jesus Christ. But notice this. In Acts 2, it was audible, visual, and verbal. There was the rushing mighty wind sound. There was the flaming tongues above their head that they all saw. And then there was the verbal of the speaking in tongues. Here in Acts chapter 10, we, we're not told that. It, it, it's not saying that everybody heard them speaking in their own tongue. It just says that they spoke in tongues and that's not necessarily known languages. It's not specified there. But also notice this. There was no wind and there was no fire. And so the audible and the visual were not part of it in Acts chapter 10. It was just unspecified tongues. Now, why is that important? Well, again, one of the arguments against the gift of tongues is, well, it doesn't happen like it did in the book of Acts. It's never happened like it happened in the book of Acts. That was a once and done thing that inaugurated and baptized the church and then the gift faded off the scene. And we don't see it like the book of Acts. And if it's going to be authentic today, it's got to be like Acts chapter two, because the origin of something determines the outcome of something and so on and so on. Well, let me just give you this. In, in Acts 19, we have the third instance. And in the third instance, you've got like a dozen people in Ephesus who had been baptized unto the water baptism of John the Baptist, but had never been baptized into Christ. And so Paul finds these people and he says to them, he must have picked up on something that was missing in them. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. And he said, what were you baptized into? And they said, John's, baptized, uh, John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Now, again, this time there's no fire. 
There's no wind, but there's this new element, the additional element of Paul laying his hands on them and then they spoke in tongues. Why do I go to such an extreme to belabor these three instances in Acts? Well, it's to remind all of this as I close today that these three instances in the book of Acts uh, that kind of revolve around the baptism of the Spirit for the Jews, the Gentiles, and these th- uh, these uh, Acts 19 believers at Ephesus who were only partially into the gospel. They had repented of their sins, but they hadn't really fully understood the gospel. But all of these results, uh, all of these instances result in people speaking in tongues, and yet each instance had variations. And, and, and so we've got all of these different instances And it's important because people want a nice, neat, tidy package that contains the Holy Spirit and his gifts. And we want it all to make sense. And we want it all to be predictable. And we want it all to be controllable. And we want it all to be explainable. That is the post-enlightenment mindset of Christianity. And it all flies in the face of what Jesus taught Nicodemus about the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what Jesus taught Nicodemus? And I'll close with this. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus is coming as one who is educated, as one who is intellectual, as one who is moral, as one who is upright, as one who is steadfast in all of his pursuit of God as a Jewish Pharisee. And yet he knows something's missing and he's watching and listening to Jesus, but he's a little bit skeptical. And so he comes to Jesus under the cloak of darkness in John chapter three. And Jesus says, you have to be born again, Nicodemus. And then Jesus immediately begins telling him the one who is born of the spirit is like this. The wind blows. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. Jesus says the Holy spirit moves in unpredictable ways like the wind. Now, we can notice the effects of the wind, we can harness the power of the wind, but we cannot fully predict the wind and we can't trace precisely where it goes when it leaves us where we're standing or where it came from before it found us. And Jesus uses that natural um, meteorological illustration and he says, the person that is born of the spirit is like the wind. In other words, Don't try to understand and predict or control every single component of the Holy Spirit life. Jesus told the most enlightened moral representative of his day, Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel. He told him the Holy Spirit can't be fully understood or predicted. So in other words, the application is don't try to do that, Nicodemus. You must be born again. And so friends, by application, I would say to you and I today, as we think about these three instances in the book of Acts, don't try to make those the only templates for which tongues can occur today. People have said to me for years, it has to be Acts like, like Acts chapter two, or it's not valid. Well, friends, it wasn't like Acts chapter two and Acts chapter 10. And it wasn't like Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19. So what do we do? We have to take our grubby little human paws off of it and let God be God. Forgive me if that's a little bold, but you need to hear that. Quit trying to control this. Quit trying to explain it. Quit trying to reduce the Christian experience in its supernatural essence 
to something that you'll only believe if you can control it, explain it, or understand it all. There has to come a time where in humility, we raise our empty hands to heaven and we say, God, you're God and I'm not. I'm sorry that I've tried to put massive limitations on how you work and when you work and what it looks like when you are working. God, forgive me. I choose not to do that. That moment occurred for me in the late 1990s. And it was then that I began to say, God, you're greater than I could fathom. I need to know you as you wish to be known. If there's something I'm missing in my Christian experience, I want all that you legitimately have for me. I want to understand as much of it as I can. But Lord, if you have for me things, experiences, gifts that I can't fully understand, but you want me to have them, then I want them even in spite of not being able to understand them. And friends, that is when breakthrough occurred to me. So I hope you've been encouraged and helped by today's episode. The next episode, maybe even two, are going to go further on this gift of tongues. Please remember, we are deeply helped at Mavericks and Misfits. I'm helped personally. If you will subscribe to this podcast and you will take five minutes and rate and review the podcast because that enlarges our digital footprint, share it on your social media. And if you have people in your life that you're trying to help understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit, then share these podcasts with them. All I'm doing is walking us through the Bible and challenging the status quo belief system. So I hope that you've been blessed. Listen, if you don't listen again before Christmas, I hope you have a very Merry Christmas. Christmas and an awesome new year. We're not slowing down. We're moving into 2021 with a vigor, with a desire, with a longing for breakthrough in our lives. And I believe this, I'll say this, put on my prophets cap for a moment. Some of you that have never spoken in tongues before in your life, 2021 or before 2021, these next upcoming weeks and months, God's going to give some of you the experience of praying in tongues for the very first time. Go ahead and start asking him for it because it's a gift that he says in 1 Corinthians 14.1, we are to earnestly desire. All right. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Have you gotten a copy of Jeff's book? His autobiography titled Figuring It Out As I Go shares Jeff's journey from being abandoned at childhood to journeying through the maze of addiction as a teen and young adult into his supernatural deliverance at the age of 24, and then into the fascinating pilgrimage into the depths of the Holy Spirit. Order your copy today at jefflyle.com or anywhere online where you buy books. You can also hear Jeff narrate the book by ordering an audio copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at audible.com.